Hello and welcome back to Practicing English. It's Friday, so I'm continuing with the story The Tudor Conspiracy by M.A. Bilborough, which you can buy on any Amazon platform so that you can follow these podcasts and read at the same time and do the useful exercises to help you build your language level from a B1 to a strong B2. Hello and welcome to Practicing English. My name is Mike Bilber and these are podcasts for students of English at B1 or B2 levels or for those students who just want to improve their general English. For transcripts of these podcasts, please go to practicingenglish.com. Okay, I'm just going to ask you a question this week on the chapter. And the question I'm going to ask you is, what did the security guard take out of Professor Hawthorne's pocket? What did the security guard take out of Professor Hawthorne's pocket? All right, so here we go. The Tudor Conspiracy by M.A. Bilbrough this recording is copyright. Chapter 16 At some time in the future, looking back on those events of that rainy April evening in Stratford-upon-Avon, Isabel would liken what happened next with a play taking place on the stage. Three things happened almost at the same time. Philip instantly pulled Isabel back from the porch wall. A security guard, who appeared from the house pointing a gun at Jane and had seen too many American cop movies, shouted, Put it down, lady! A tall elderly man appeared from behind a rose bush with a camera around his neck and holding a large book in both hands. The tall man then brought the large book down on Jane's head very hard. Jane dropped the gun and collapsed in the wet grass. The tall man then walked over to the master with the book held high above his head. The master, realising he had nowhere to run, became defiant and pointed with a threatening index finger. You're not going to hit me with that, Arthur, he shouted. Nor tripped neither, you base football player, shouted Mr. Fanshaw, and he rushed at the master and expertly placed his right foot behind the master's legs and pushed hard. The master's trilby hat flew off his head as he fell backwards into the mud. Mr. Fanshaw now took centre stage with his two defeated enemies on either side. <laughs>
That's nothing compared to what you did to me, Edmund, shouted Mr. Fanshawe. The man called Edmund tried to get up, but in his panic he slipped in the mud and this time fell into a deep puddle. Edmund Hawthorne, continued Mr. Fanshawe, Professor of History at Brasenose College. You were my colleague, and I thought once a friend, an Oxford professor like myself. But you destroyed so many antique manuscripts, so many beautiful books. You justified your actions with your pathetic Anglia Nostra rubbish. Philip and Isabel, under the tiny umbrella, walked towards the scene, neither of them really comprehending how Mr. Fanshawe happened to be in Shakespeare's birthplace garden. The security guard walked over to Jane's body, lying amongst the soggy vegetation. She had not moved. He picked up the gun, ignored Jane, and joined Philip and Isabel. An audience of curious tourists had gathered in the porch entrance, wondering if all this drama might be part of an improvised Shakespeare play. Professor Edmund Hawthorne, alias the master, thought it safer to stay in his puddle. When I was an Oxford professor, I investigated continued Mr. Fanshawe, and I found out about your order and what you were doing. I publicly accused you then, but fool as I was, I had no proof. So you accused me of slander, and you won the court battle. You pompous ass, Edmund. The university ridiculed me, and I was asked to resign from my position. All because of you, Edmund, my life as a university academic was in ruins. Most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar. I planned all this to obtain an acquittal, Edmund. Mr. Fanshawe's voice was quieter now, and the rain had eased to a fine drizzle. His grey hair was soaked and stuck to his face. He looked old and tired. Isabel felt sorry for him. I planned this to gather evidence, to publicly demonstrate I was right, and to denounce your despicable behaviour towards the literary world and towards me. In the Bodleian Library, you could do as you pleased. You could destroy books you believed contradicted history according to Anglia Nostra. Then you could make some excuse that the book had been lost and nobody would question your authority. To catch you red-handed, I needed to draw you out of the Bodleian. I needed to get you into a public place where I could observe you or even photograph you in the act of receiving or destroying an ancient manuscript. I devised a plan. Mr. Fanshawe stopped and then looked at Isabel. Do you know about this fanatical organization called Anglia Nostra, Isabel? he asked. Yes, Mr. Fanshawe, 
said Isabel. Philip has explained everything to me. You see, we found out this afternoon that that woman over there, the one you hit on the head with your book, is a member of the Order. Her name is Jane. So she is a member, said Mr. Fanshaw, nodding his head. Yes, I thought she must be. Anyway, I will continue with my story. It was I who sent the Henry Eighth Quarto to the Bodleian Library. I knew it would be standard protocol for the Bodleian to send important works to David Buddle in Stratford-upon-Avon for authentication. I also sent my assistants to Oxford to investigate, he gestured towards Isabel and Philip. I gave them instructions not to say who had sent them, but to inform the Bodleian of the Elizabeth I play hidden within the quarto. I know David Buddle very well from my Oxford days. I was his tutor. I asked him to assist me in my plan. I imagine Edmund, after learning from my assistants that the Henry VIII quarto contained a Shakespeare play called Elizabeth I, you would first try to telephone the laboratory and tell them to send the quarto back immediately. Is that what you did? Indeed. I had somebody phone the laboratory, answered Professor Hawthorne, looking like neither a master nor a professor as he sat in his puddle. But there was no answer. So I sent Jane to Stratford to obtain the quarto. A very foolish thing to do. I asked David Buddle and his staff not to answer the phone so that you would be forced to go to Stratford in person, continued Mr. Fanshaw. My plan was to follow you, Edmund, to Stratford. However, I was not aware other members of Anglia Nostra had infiltrated the Bodleian. I was waiting for you to leave, Edmund. I was waiting in my car outside the Bodleian. I knew, or at least I hoped, you would follow my assistants to Stratford. You did leave the Bodleian, of course. I followed you here, but I see now you left after your associate. You are too much of a coward to carry out your own dirty work yourself. You left that to this mad woman. Everybody looked over to where Jane was now sitting on the wet grass, holding her head in her hands and groaning. Mr. Fanshaw turned towards Isabel and Philip. Your part in this plan was to receive the quarto from David's laboratory. I gave David instructions not to open for anybody except for you two. I asked him to wait outside his laboratory until you arrived. I imagine David knew somebody was hiding close by, waiting for you to leave with the quarto. I was sure that Professor Hawthorne would then attempt to take it from you, to steal it from you. 
or to offer you money for it. But I don't understand, said Isabel. Why did you need David to give the quarto to us? The professor could have gone to David's laboratory and taken the quarto himself. After all, it does belong to the Bodleian. David wouldn't have refused. Oh, no, answered Mr. Fanshawe. Professor Hawthorne would not attempt to go into the laboratory himself. He knew that David would not give him such a valuable work in person. David knew too much about his connections with Anglia Nostra. You mean, interrupted Isabel, that when Philip and I arrived at the laboratory, David was expecting us? Do you mean he was acting, just following your instructions? Yes, answered Mr. Fanshawe. I imagine he did it rather well. He is an actor with the Royal Shakespeare Company in his spare time. Anyway, to return to my plan, I assumed that even if you told the professor the quarto was a forgery, he would not believe you. You see, Professor Hawthorne always hated David Buddle. David was a witness against him in the court case. From that day forward, Edmund never trusted David. I told David to hold you in his laboratory, to offer you a coffee or something, until he could be certain the professor was waiting for you outside. Then he would make you a gift of the quarto before you left. Handing over property of the Bodleian Library to an unauthorized person would seem highly suspicious. If the professor saw you leave with the quarto, he would suspect David was conspiring with you. It would make him believe the quarto really was hiding the Elizabeth I play. Professor Hawthorne looked up from his puddle. So, is the quarto just a fake? he asked gloomily. Oh, yes, said Mr. Fanshawe. It's a fake, all right, Edmund. There is no such play as Elizabeth I. And the Henry Eighth quarto is a fake, too. It is a copy from the first folio. A good copy. It had to be good to fool the Bodleian experts. I had it made with the help of a printer, and I used old letter paper, which used to belong to my father. Things did not quite go to plan, however. The professor's associate went to David Buddle's laboratory instead of the professor. Isabel, did she steal the quarter from you both? Isabel realized that Mr. Fanshawe had no idea of the events that had taken place earlier in Holy Trinity Church. Yes, I, I suppose she did, she answered quietly, and then looked at Philip, who was shaking his head and looking at the ground. 
Yes, continued Mr. Fanshaw, I thought as much. He then turned back to the professor. I followed you in my car to the Hilton. I realized then that you must be working with somebody else. However, it was you I wanted, Edmund, so I waited. Eventually, you came here to Shakespeare's birthplace to collect the quarto. While you were talking to your associate, I was hiding behind that rosebush. I was taking photographs of you and her together. Mr. Fanshawe lifted the camera in his hand. I took photographs of you tearing up the Henry VIII quarto. That is just what I needed. There remains just one more thing I need to do to have the proof I need. Mr. Fanshawe looked at the security guard. What is your name, good man? I'm Jeff Walters, sir. Mr. Walters, would you be so kind as to extract the papers hidden within Professor Hawthorne's inside coat pocket? Of course, sir. The security guard looked down at the professor. Excuse me, sir. I would like to ask you to stand up and step out of that puddle. The professor stood up tiredly and did as he was told, the water dripping off him. The security guard then put his hand inside the professor's coat and pulled out a white mass of wet papers. Is this what you were looking for, sir? The security guard asked, looking at Mr. Fanshawe. It is indeed, he answered. When the police arrive, I would like you to hand those papers to them. I hope you will later give evidence and say you found them in the professor's coat. Certainly, sir, replied the security guard. Giving evidence about a crime is part of my job. There were a few moments of silence in the garden. The rain had completely stopped, and the clouds had turned from a dark grey to a creamy white. The story had been told. A few appreciative American tourists, who had been able to hear everything from the porch, began clapping. Isabel overheard a comment from one of them who could not decide whether the performance was an extract from a Shakespeare play or a work by Agatha Christie. And that's the end of chapter 16. Until next Friday, goodbye for now. Thank you.